0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast, and today's episode is episode number 214. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the spiritual, mental, and physical aspects of addiction with a holistic, drug-free, evidence-based, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 866-231-5924. It's an an, an anonymous call. Call today. Today we're going to be interviewing a gentleman named Eric Protein Mosley. Now I have to tell you that I don't know why protein is his middle name, but I'm sure we'll get him to tell us that. He is a social impact documentary filmmaker, homeless advocate, director, author, and businessman who grew up in Detroit, Michigan, dropped out of school, became addicted to drugs and other things and used his shortcoming to become a motivation for those who don't have the inspiration to continue on with their dream, no matter what the circumstances. He has been recognized as becoming the first to educate the homeless about the coronavirus and turned it into a popular documentary called the homeless coronavirus outreach. His company is called Skid Row Productions and let's find out more especially why he's called Eric Protein Mosley. So Eric Protein Mosley, thank you for being on the podcast today and been willing to share your story.
0: Thanks for having me, Joni. I've been looking forward to this and today is the day.
1: Awesome, I, I really appreciate it very much. You know, it's interesting, Eric. I don't, you may be familiar with this. I understand that um, someone's period, uh, time period of addiction is not necessarily a a time of their lives that they want to remember. And so oftentimes we've, we've encountered a few people who, while they are, they have their former addiction, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to tell their story. And I get it. I do understand, but it makes me appreciate people such as yourself even more who are willing to share the down and dirty in order to give people hope about the the not so down and the not dirty. <laughs> right. Well, the reason so why I, def- I appreciate you doing that.
0: Okay. And I and I think, and the reason why I do it is because it's not really about the addiction. But it's really more so about the recovery that I went through, like, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about bad things. Because uh, in society, we are taught to paint these faces on that everything is good in our lives. And things of that of that nature but then when we take those masks off um you know where everybody has some hidden agenda what's going on so if you go around and telling people hey i used to be a drug addict or i was this and that people will think that you know you were just the less in society that's why they call it alcohol anonymous and cocaine anonymous because you're not supposed to let anybody know but how are the suffering addicts supposed to find out if you keep that hid your recovery so you know if you can't talk about your addiction then how can someone find out about the recovery process that you took to get to where you're at today
1: i think that's huge i think you make a very very good point so eric let me take you back how how did you get started on drugs where were you how old were you tell us your history there
0: Wow, so I was living in Detroit, Michigan. I was actually living with my grandmother at the time. And um, this was a period of time when Richard Pryor had caught on fire, his face had blew up on fire from smoking crack cocaine. And human beings have a way of things that are tragic, they wanna run to it. I don't know how that happened, but everyone who was like snorting cocaine and things of that nature, they wanted to find out how Richard Pryor blew up and they wanted to do that. Not the blow up part, but they wanted to find out what he was experimenting. So then people start buying the powder cocaine and then they start cooking it. So me starting off with marijuana and you know, hanging out with the wrong people when somebody introduced me to the rock cocaine, I tried it. And so that's basically how it started. But I might add, I didn't get hooked on it right away. It took a, a period of time for someone else to bring more and more and more before I got addicted to it. But I was using like powder before and then marijuana before and, uh I just graduated up into that.
1: But you started with marijuana? Was that the first um drug experience?
0: Yes, I did start with marijuana. Now, and I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people think that marijuana is a gateway to using serious drugs. Let me tell you what the A way to use the serious drugs. It's about you growing up and being bored of your prior life, or there's something that happened into your life that you want to bring excitement into that boredom. It's just like if you go to an amusement park and you're riding a little Ferris wheel while you're little, that's okay. But as you get bigger and bigger and larger and larger, that little thing becomes non-existent, and you want more and more and more. So what I want to do, my thing, my biggest thing of recovery, is I want to take people back to where they were before they started getting doing drugs. I want to take them back to that boring life that they used to complain about all the time and had put them back in that mind frame and let them dig their way from that part out.
1: Well, absolutely, because one of the things we've said on the podcast over and over again is that drugs are not the actual problem. They are the solution to a problem. So before the drugs ever started, there was something there, whether it was you know, um, being bullied or, you know, being bored or, you know, just no self-esteem. There's something that happened before someone goes, oh, I think I'll get high. Right. So you make a good point. Yeah.
0: It's something to max. Something, but it still really all deals with excitement because being bullied and stuff like that—that's boring. That's not anything that you want. Like you want to add some spice to that. I want the the guy, the the kid that's being bullied, he wants he or she wants to add spice to their life where they fit in with the in crowd. So they're still looking up in some sort, to to come from where they were at the bottom. So the drug is still to even if it's a downer drug that people are taking the drugs to get a lift up from the down position that they're in.
1: Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so, okay, so you went to rock cocaine. Is that is that the right way to say it? Rock cocaine?
0: Yeah, you can say rock cocaine, crack cocaine. Um, most people know it as crack cocaine.
1: Okay, and then how did you progress from there? What? How did your life go from there? Oh, my life went. Through. And how old were you when you were doing crack cocaine? Oh,
0: let, let me see. I had to be, um, I started in 82, so I was um, 20. Like 22, 24 when I first started, but not being addicted. So when I was like addicted, um, it's, I was like 24 years of age. No mind I'm at it, um, at it wasn't an embarrassing thing because everyone in the community at that time was doing crack cocaine. So it was this. It had it was like a cigarette thing. Hey, I'm going to go get me a dime rock or a nickel rock or whatever. It was just like going to the store and get a pack of cigarettes. No kids could laugh at it. somebody else's parents because you're that. Hey, my mom's crackhead. And so it was just like a community event for everybody. You know, you understand what I'm saying.
1: Yes, I do. I do. It's kind of accepted. That was the way of life.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it became like a way of life.
1: Okay, so you were, everybody was doing it. Take us back. How did you progress from there?
0: Okay, i progressed by thinking like, well, you know, this is just um only gonna last for a minute. And first, let me tell you, in the beginning, it's fun because you know you're experimenting with something and you're you're getting a high that you like. But as you just keep progressing and you seeing that you're not taking care of your hygiene, your family is about to find out a girlfriend that used to date way back in the day, she's telling you like wow you have lost all your weight. And um and then it becomes a thing that you don't even realize it anymore. So now you're really just out of so the addiction goes in stages to the point where first you're embarrassed, then the next uh, thing you're not embarrassed. And then it just goes from, hey, look, just forget it. I'm just a crackhead, I'm out here. And maybe it might happen for me to get off and maybe it might not. But I always had that dream and that feeling by me being a God-loving person. Always knew that, you know what, this is temporary. I used to always say it. Every time I would take a hit, I would get down on my knees and pray to God, say, God, this is not what I want, please. Please, Lord, please deliver me off of this. And I got off in the book of Proverbs, and that's what kind of just like led me to um, getting into wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and finding out about the drugs, about my addictions, and everything.
1: Wow! So, so the Bible basically helped you get clean and sober is that what you're saying
0: yes that was the first part of me acknowledging that i had an addiction because denial is the biggest thing if you don't you don't admit that you have a problem you can't deal with it so i had to come out of denial.
1: right right okay so where were you where were you at in your life when you finally realized that you had to get clean and sober where what was your situation like at the time well
0: i was a single parent father who um my mother, the mother of the child and I were doing drugs like all across the country. So I ended up becoming a single parent and I still took my daughter through that same process of traveling her all around the country uh, and getting high. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So where I was at, I, I, I smoked dope in every city all across America, every major city there was. But there was one incident when I was in Seattle where I overdosed in front of my daughter and I was in the tub i, I felt my heart about to beat out of my chest okay and i was it what had happened was i was i was calling myself clean but i had a relapse during 9 11 i saw these little bit people jumping off this building in new york and um, i was like saying wow if they can die like that what would be wrong with me just going to take a little hit you know because i was setting myself up so when i took that hit i was just like off and running because i had been clean for a little while And so it had my heart beating and my daughter was laying on another bed and I felt myself dying. So I ran into the bathroom, took off all my clothes and got down on my hands and knees. And luckily I left the door unlocked because I went in there and ran cold water on my my whole body so that it could bring my temperature down. And my daughter ran in the bathroom and said, Daddy, no, what are you doing? Because she said she heard something go like raw, oh, she heard some type of sound that she had never heard. So that was me. Like, I don't know if it was demonic spirit or whatever or oh God, but I'm laying there, sitting there in the shower, daughter sitting there seeing me. And I was more, Joni, I was more embarrassed of my daughter seeing me undressed than I was of me overdosing. Cause I was like froze. God had me froze. like, listen, you don't want to listen. I'm going to take your life out right here. What are you doing? I'm begging like, God, please, please, please. And um, finally I could feel- the, How the, old
1: um, was she, Eric? How old was your daughter at the
0: like time? nine years old. She had to be about nine or 10 years old and saw that. Yes, yeah, she did. And she remembered, we talk about it and all of that. And uh, and I just think about well, what would happen to her if that would happen? I mean, she didn't have any you know, telephone numbers of any family members or things like that. So she would have just been like in a foster home somewhere. And her dad's dead somewhere off of crack cocaine. And that would have been even worse. And you know, so, you know, when we're addicts, we hurt other people more than we hurt ourselves because we're we're the ones that getting the joy out of it. So we think they're not getting any joy out of the families or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, we hurt a lot of people doing drugs.
1: Yeah, we've heard that a lot from people who've come on the show who, you know, are in recovery. Okay, so you're in the shower and your nine-year-old daughter is in there wondering what's going on with dad what happened next
0: well i'm begging for god to give me my life back and he is like listen i'm not playing with you i'm telling you i could hear it he said i'm not and i'm like god please i'm not playing either finally i could just feel like the life coming back into my body and so then i like turned the water out and i could just rush out because i was naked in front of my daughter you know I'm and that was like embarrassing and so i came down and i oh you know i driving myself off and I was really, really, really scared. This was the first time that God had got my attention, but I wasn't, and the, the, the thing of it was that my system had got kind of like pure because I hadn't been using and I had just relapsed. But let me add you to this, relapse is a part of recovery. So people that relapse, you know, I just would like to say to them, you know, don't beat yourself up, don't go getting off into a pity party, stay strong and get back up and go through it again because even the strongest people relapse. Relapse is a part of recovery. Now, that's not giving you a green pass and go, I'm going to go out and get high because the man said it's part of recovery. No. But if you do relapse, just come back stronger. And that's what I did.
1: You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the Addiction Podcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at seven two seven three one four seven zero eight zero. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a five star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ohio, visit their website at Narcanonohi.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N ojai.org, or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby so what was your what was what was the date like how long have you been clean and sober oh wow so
0: like when my everybody has different recoveries, and so i i i've gotten to the point i don't count days anymore as long as i can go from 12 oh, to 9 okay. to 12 at night and so because well, I, i'm the maybe other people we can like if i go to meetings i won't take chips and all that stuff because i'm the type of person i'm an addict once i start patting myself on the back then I find my oh I got cushion oh they told me I did good here I did. so that's how I always relapse so I tell people look, if you're gonna if you're gonna compliment me for not getting high that day compliment me because I brushed my teeth compliment me because I ate today compliment me because I woke up no I don't deserve a compliment or that so um, yeah so I don't take any type of compliments and I only go from twelve to 12. And then when that 12 o'clock comes, I don't celebrate that I made that day because that battle starts all the way over again. The devil's already right there waiting at you at 11.59.
1: Right. Right. No. Well, I'm going to say well done anyway. There you go. (laughs) But with so how did you get into filmmaking what's that story because i know that's what you've been doing
0: you yeah, well, i'm a doctor social uh, impact documentary filmmaker and by traveling all across the country and um, being a drug addict all across the country it put me in a position where i got to meet and be in areas of all lower class people so that kind of you know when, once i got clean i felt like um you know, I, I, I got clean and I got myself out. So I was like thinking about, wow, how can I go about making money now? And so I was going to make a reality TV show about homelessness. And so I went to Los Angeles and I had somebody keep my daughter at the time. And I came up with this two hours worth of footage thinking I'm, I'm going to have a pilot for a television show. And so somebody came and told me, say, listen, that, that a pilot is not two hours. It's only eight minutes. So they said that's a documentary. And I was in then I was still kind of like homeless. You know, my daughter met back up in New York and we went into the show there. And there was a young gentleman there that was trying to get me to get off in the um into the social impact. I'm like, man, I'm about to make my money off of this, uh, you know, turn it into a reality show. But he uh, what had happened was it was a young lady who the city wouldn't let the police, uh I mean the uh ambulance department come in to check on her by her being pregnant and because of the conditions of the building. So that's when I got back with the young guy and said, you know what we have we this, this call the city officials. We got in the newspaper and they tore that whole building down, built a whole brand new building. And from there, I seen that I had an impact. And so I turned that into a documentary. And then I just started doing it for a social cause instead of trying to make money off of it.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, obviously we all want to make money, but if you go more after duty or after purpose, or, you know, you have some kind of a... Um, an, a goal to help people. It's amazing how things can sort of fall in place when you kind of put your attention on that. You, you make a very good point.
0: Thank you. Well, I just had to end the video. So Go
1: ahead. So, no, i sorry. The, the lag makes us may cut, cut you off sometimes. So what's the name of the documentary that you made then? Well,
0: I made like three documentaries, but the last documentary is called The Homeless Coronavirus Outreach. And it's a father and daughter Um, educate the homeless about the coronavirus and to understand five out of 10 people weren't aware of COVID-19. So that was alarming to like the city, the state, the government, then they started making changes and they started putting people up in San Francisco and hotels and that triggered off to Los Angeles to New York. And uh, I don't know if it's working, but we made a big impact uh, in the documentary area like in Africa uh, And a lot of um, in Germany and a couple of other like um, Hawaii, two items on Hawaii, and just all across America and stuff like that. So, uh, my daughter, she's a social impact uh, person as well. She's got billboards all over San Francisco. She speaks to tech companies up in the Bay Area and stuff. So, we took our mess and turned it into a message.
1: What what does she talk to um, companies about? What's her What's her message?
0: Actually, her message is, um, you know, it's really about her story, and then she has she's trying to get people to, you know, invest more into nonprofit organizations. And what we do is basically she's kind of like fine on One thing is my thing is. I teach people about the three classes of homelessness, which is upper, middle, and lower. And so I'm teaching her how to do the same thing because people, when you say something about a homeless individual, they think of a bump. Now, uh, upper class homeless is an individual he or she uh, takes care of their is trying to make it back into the mainstream of society, probably living in a shelter or Couch surfing. The lower class of homeless is an individual who you see out on the street, pushing a buggy, not taking care of hygiene and not trying to make it into the mainstream of society. And the middle class is just that middle person. So to answer you, I'm teaching her that and she's moving forward with that. Is trying to get tech companies to understand that there's three different classes and I'll also help them to, um, you know, team up with the nonprofit organization that I got, which is each one teach one infrastructure.
1: Right you know it's interesting um i never thought of there being classes of homelessness but i i get what you're saying and there is um where we are in the tampa bay area there's an organization that is dealing mainly with what you call the upper class of homelessness in terms of and and i think you know a lot of a lot of it is people who want to to get out of that situation because i know sometimes the guy pushing the the grocery cart doesn't really want to do anything other than push the grocery cart. Do you know what I mean? So I I get it now. I never thought of it as classes of homelessness, but I get it. Well, you were homeless for a while, right? You and your daughter?
0: Oh, my daughter, I, I, um, during my drug addiction, we were homeless uh, approximately. Like, uh, I was homeless probably like 16 years with her, and then probably another six, seven years without her, because that's when I really got off and just do, that That was uh, by choice because I had got so involved with documentaries that it took for me to be in different areas and different homeless shelters and different homeless communities. So I had to stay homeless during that time until it was meant for me to uh, receive housing.
1: Wow. Wow, well, well done on shining a light on a lot of these situations, like the homeless not knowing about Corona and also just the, uh, the homeless You know problem and and what that entails and you know i I agree with you that a lot of people think it's similar with addiction where people think oh the addict is the dirty homeless bum under the bridge and what we've talked about on the podcast is you know it can be the you know the very wealthy teenager who is raiding medicine cabinets. so there's you know there's different Uh, classes there you know addiction knows knows no economic status so what is what is next for you in terms of documentaries? Do you have one kind of in the that you're working on now? Actually,
0: I do. I'm working on one called "In correspondence with Eric Protein Mosley. And it's to be in correspondence with the president of the United States and to bring social issues um, to um, individuals who are in power. And let them decide on you know what needs to be made change. And it's for other individuals to watch it, but it's to bring in depth coverage of social issues that are taking place to the community. And by bringing you compelling stories that you would normally see on your broadcasting. So let me can I talk about this? My daughter and I we were down- you can,
1: but first before you do that, you have to explain why protein.
0: Protein. <laughs> oh my God! I don't. Everybody asks me that. What the word protein? Protein is just something that's positive. It's not nothing negative. And it's um I don't remember who gave me that name. I don't remember if it was a woman or but I just remembered somebody said protein and then I looked first I was gonna put protein Eric multi and then somebody said, No, it's gotta go Eric protein multi and it just stuck. And then I started getting newspaper articles and doing shows like this and my name just got out of there. But protein is a good thing, John.
1: Right. Okay. Good. Okay. So I'm sorry I cut you okay. off. Yes. By all means, tell us. Tell us what you're excited about. That oh, it great.
0: wasn't exciting. It was like like doing the documentaries. It was like we went downtown on Skid Row and the homeless down there. It's like a regular community. And this one, you have addicts and you have drug dealers and you have you know shot callers. So it was a shot caller that came up to us and said, "Hey, what are you doing down here filming?" And I had to tell him like, "Look, I have 30 years down here, bro. I've been a drug addict." And he was like, "Well, man, that was then." This is now. And I said, Well, man, I'm just about to film my um my intro and I'm gonna be gone. So to make long story short, this the work that I'm doing, it's life-threatening. Not only am I taking a chance to go out and, and you know, possibly catch coronavirus, but I have to be dealing with different types of people who don't want me in their area. That's said, Like if I come on the side of your house and film and you're gonna be like, hey, dude, what are you doing over here? You know.
1: Right. Right. But I I I think You know in the same way that when when you talk about, you know drug addiction people can relate to it because you have your own history Similar to making the documentary you're not coming in as somebody like me, you know, miss white bread filmmaker to know anything about drugs or homeless you you've been there you've done that, you know So I can I can see how that's helpful.
0: Yeah, and that's how they give me that's how I get a pass because I'm coming here telling them, hey, look, I'm one of you. I'm trying to shine light on a subject that's here. And I'm not coming down here. One thing I tell people that I take down there with me, I tell them your your degrees, please leave that at home. Don't tell anybody you have a to be the, and I hate to tell them this, but the dumber you play like you are, the better you have a chance of leaving from down there. Because once you, well, the master's in this and doctor's in it, no, that doesn't cut it down there. They don't care about that. And you come too much intimidated. And then that's a, it's a no no.
1: Yep. Yep. Interesting. Eric, if you had one message that you could share with our listeners about the whole addiction pandemic, what would it be?
0: About addiction pandemic,
1: addiction in general. Well, what, would I, you, what message would you give
0: people? I'm the type of person who I would bring you if I was to coach you or to lead you out of your drug addiction. I would take you back to that ferris wheel that you were riding on when you were two years old and put your mind frame in that and plus i wouldn't come to you with that little johnny push like little johnny sit down and do this i would look you straight in your eyes say, if you don't quit getting high you're gonna die i don't i don't cut corners with people i don't sugarcoat it because we i need somebody to talk to me if you keep getting high you're going to die and it's just going to be just that simple and you're going to kill the hearts and the spirits of everyone that loves you Can't give you a little Johnny approach to say, oh, little Johnny, you shouldn't do this. No, little Johnny, you're going to die if you keep getting high. It's just that simple.
1: Well, you're going to die, and I like the second thing you said, and you're going to break the hearts of everyone around you. I think that is such a powerful message. Yes. Eric, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us today. If someone wants to know more about your production company and what you're doing, maybe somebody might want to help you. How can they find you? Do you have a website?
0: I do have a website and actually you can find it, um, at, um, Eric Mosley 18 at, um, at Eric Mosley 18, or you can just Google my name, Eric protein Mosley and everything on there. I tell you my website, it'll show you everything about my drug addiction and about my success and everything else. That's where you can find. it. Fair
1: enough. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for listening today. A different perspective, one about the homeless situation and the relationship there to drugs. I hope that Eric's story, um, instills you with some kind of hope and lets you know that help is available. Um, his message is may sound dramatic and it may sound a little serious, but it's really true. If an individual doesn't stop getting high, they will die. And they will break the hearts of everyone around them. So if you know someone who's addicted, get them into treatment. If you yourself are in, treat- in uh, sorry, if you yourself are addicted, get into treatment. Do it today. If you don't know where else to do, to go or who to talk to, you can call our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, 866-231-5924. It's an anonymous call. You don't have to give your name. They just want to help. We'll talk to you again next week.
0: You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononohai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.